Yet another school shooting has led Biden to once again call for gun safety measures. Meanwhile, the GOP leaders offer thoughts, prayers, and conspiracies. Trump went down to Waco to attack Alvin Bragg and conjure images of cult leader and alleged pedophile David Koresh. Is this the desperate last act of a cornered rat, or should we be worried? Then we'll turn to a new study that shows Americans are abandoning our defining values. What will that mean for our country and our lives? And finally, we'll check in with the folks over at Fox News to get the latest on how the Dominion lawsuit is sowing chaos in America's favorite right-wing cable network. This is Majority 54. All right, Jason. Well, the obvious place to start here is the shooting in Nashville. And, you know, obviously it's personal. I was a school principal in Nashville, not too far from where this school was. And what we know as of right now is that a heavily armed assailant entered a Christian school in Nashville on Monday morning and fatally shot three uh, children and three staff members before the assailant was shot and killed by police. And there's footage out there of just how quickly police responded and and how that all went down. Uh, And according to initial findings from an investigator, uh, the shooter was a former student who is now 28 years old. And the school in question, this is Covenant School, which is a, a Christian private school. They serve about 200 students from preschool through sixth grade. And the former student entered the building through a side door armed with two assault-style rifles and a handgun uh, and went from floor to floor shooting people. Jason, where do we start? I don't know. Like, you know, we're, we're, I know you're probably sick of these, like, just the same conversation over and over and over again. It's like pushing the boulder up the hill. But, you know, what do we, what do we talk about here? You know, what's what what do we talk about that's different than every time you and I get together to talk about this kind of stuff? You know, so I've been dreading, you know, knowing that we were going to have to come on and talk about this because like, uh, and I bet I'm, I don't think you have to have PTSD. I don't think this is unique to me. Uh, you know, I don't think you have to have my background to feel the way I feel. I think this is true for a lot of Americans is that like whenever this happens, uh, man, it really affects me and my mental health for like days and I have a really hard time processing it. Now, probably a lot of that has to do with the fact that I have a nine-year-old son uh, who goes to school, you know? And so I, I, it like, you know, you go through that stuff of like, well, it didn't happen to my family. I don't know these people. It's far, why is it affecting? Well, cause it's really upsetting. And so I guess where I would start is just reminding anybody listening that, uh, it's okay if this really bothers you. Cause it really bothers me every single time and it'll affect me for, for days. Uh, and, and I guess it should, um, but on the other hand, you know, I saw where somebody, I was like doom scrolling about this yesterday and I saw where somebody said, Hey, you know, it's okay to step away from this news for a little bit. And I think that's important to remember too. Um, mm-hmm. so I just want to say that before we get into like, not the politics of it, but the, the policy of it, because I guess that's what has me like, uh, full of angst and everything is this feeling of like, I think that so many of us have on on the gun safety side of things of like, why can't we get this done? Because every time you see this happen, you just feel personally like you failed. I mean, like I'm on the board of, of Giffords and I'm not saying that makes me deep, deep into the, uh, into the fight, but it makes me in the fight. And man, it's just really, really, really frustrating. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. That's me rambling, man. I, yeah. yeah. 
I think obviously we have a unique problem here in this country. We've been through the data before. We're not going to go through it now. I think most people listening to this podcast know this. And the and, and you know there's this meme that's going around on the right about you know how much you know like how cars kill more people than guns uh and how like you know we don't ban cars or whatever but you need a car like you need a car to go from you know point a to point b you know mm -hmm. you don't need your gun your 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 gun isn't going to take you to school it's not going to take you to work you don't need it we don't need guns that's the difference right, right. but so Biden stepped in here. He has long been about the assault weapon ban. In 1994, he negotiated a 10-year ban uh, as part of the broader crime bill. You know, he gets a lot of shit for that crime bill, but we can all agree that this assault weapon ban was was good. Uh, and it was temporary, obviously. I mean, you can just look at the data, right? I mean, like the way that these shootings have gone up since the assault weapon ban went away. Right, right. And... I think most people, like most reasonable people agree that you shouldn't be able to have military style or, you know, armor piercing bullets or, you know, guns that can spray, you know, that's not for hunting. That's not even yeah. for self-defense. Like, it's not like an army's coming after you. You know, when you, people talk about self-defense, they're talking about a home intruder, right? Mm -hmm. um, you don't need something that could spit out a hundred bullets in a minute, right? Like the people who have these types of weapons are generally cosplaying or in cases like this um trying to do something uh you know that we can all agree we want to stop you know well and the other piece of it is that i feel like nobody ever talks about is that people there's a lot of people just like guns you know what i mean yeah. like that's like yeah. it's it's so sometimes yeah it's cosplay sometimes it's uh nefarious very rarely is it nefarious but but a lot of i you know, I feel like I say this every episode. I live here in the middle of the country. <laughs> you know, um, I have a lot of friends who own a lot of guns. Um, and this is, a you know, guns are a big issue for them. I end up talking about this issue with them a lot. None of them are trying to do anything nefarious with their guns. Um, a lot of them will say, yeah, I, you know, I'm not really defending my home with an AR-15. But they will, they like having it, you know. And I'm not defending them. I'm just saying at the end of the that's what's, I think, so freaking frustrating to me about this is that like a lot of this is that it well it's two things one with with individuals and with voters it's we don't acknowledge how much people are just like i just like guns i like mm -hmm. i like having an ar-15 i like i like doing these things i'm into it. it's a hobby right okay but that's not really what's stopping us from getting things done because the truth is is that if you talk to the majority of those people they think there ought to be reasonable restrictions on that stuff what's really stopping us is that the gun industry is a huge and wealthy lobby. And I don't mm -hmm. think I'm breaking any news here, but like when we talk about what should change and what we should focus on, I think we have to start with the fact, and you've heard me say this before, that we've actually won the debate. If you look at the numbers, the vast majority of Americans want common sense gun safety measures. But the problem is we haven't won the legislative battle because of the makeup of, because of a million things, because of gerrymandering, because of voting rights, and because of the Electoral College and all this stuff, right? Because of the makeup of the Senate. But we, we can't mistake the fact that we haven't accomplished what we want to accomplish with thinking we haven't persuaded enough people. I guess we haven't persuaded enough people for the structure we have, but we have won the debate. We have the majority of people. So what it had me thinking about from a messaging perspective and how we get 
this across to people is I feel like we have got to center so much more of our messaging on a single change, one or two, right? Mm -hmm. Because you can you get people going, oh well, you know, you can ban assault weapons, but then do you find this as a define this as an assault weapon? Do you not? And Mm -hmm. I always come back to the fact that the gun industry, and this is what I think people should talk about when this subject comes up, is that the gun industry has a level of immunity that no other industry has in this country. That so there is this thing that was signed. It's called the Protection of Lawful Commerce in Arms Act. Okay. It went in uh, into law in 2005. Um, a lot of Democrats voted for it. All right. And what it does is it basically says that you can't, uh, you can't sue a gun maker for a regular reasonable level of negligence and have 12 reasonable people, a jury in a community, sit down and say whether or not they think that this gun maker took reasonable steps to keep people who shouldn't have guns from having them. And the reason I say this is different from everybody else is because if this law, a law like this, had been in place for the tobacco companies, well, then you'd still have like everybody smoking all over the place. You wouldn't have all these laws that were paid for by tobacco companies in settlements and lawsuits where, you know, they have to have these anti-smoking messages, you know, you, you wouldn't, the NFL wouldn't have taken steps to try and make the game safer. They, they had to take those steps because they were sued by players because there was no law in place for that. Ford Explorers would still flip over and explode because there would have been an auto industry law like this. Like that's, that's the, that's what's so frustrating to me about this is like, if you just repealed that law, so many of these other laws that people want, you wouldn't necessarily even need them because the gun industry would be really interested in avoiding liability by making sure that they took steps to have more smart gun technology, to uh, require that their purchasers use gun locks, to actually do background checks on everyone regardless of, of where a weapon was exchanged. The gun industry, would they would have a registry <laughs> because they'd want right. to know who has the guns. Because if they didn't, juries would hold them accountable and say, this is a reasonable step for you to take given the danger of the product that you sell. And that's yeah. why I'm so frustrated because it's like that one thing that we never talk about would make an enormous difference. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, Biden, you know, talking about Biden here, he was asked today about this and he said, basically, I've exhausted everything I could do through executive power. You know, he's saying, look, mm-hmm. Congress has to act. Uh, and so and here's a video from yesterday on this. Let's, let's cut to this video of him talking in the wake of this tragedy. It's just uh, it's sick. You know, we're still gathering the facts of what happened and why. And we do know that as of now, there are a number of people who are not going to, did not make it, including children. It's heartbreaking, uh, a family's worst nightmare. And I want to commend the police who responded incredibly swiftly, within minutes, and the danger. We're monitoring the situation really closely, Ben, as you know. And uh, we have to do more to stop gun violence. It's ripping our communities apart, ripping the soul of this nation, ripping at the very soul of the nation. So I call on Congress again to pass my assault weapons ban. It's about time that we begin to make some more progress, but there's more to learn. But I just wanted to send my uh, concern and hearts out to so many parents out there. Now. Something you said, Jason, reminded me that in the midterm elections, something interesting came out of the polling. You may remember this, that 
exit polling was picking up initially that a sizable percentage of people going to the polls were cared about, uh, they cared about crime. Do you remember this? Mm -hmm. And everybody yeah. was like, oh yeah, like this is gonna be the red wave, right? All these voters being motivated by crime. And I think follow-up studies now have shown that and sort of parsing the cross tabs that potentially what was going on was that a lot of the people who said crime was their big concern were actually then saying, well, our solution isn't to you know be in a moral panic that the right wing wants us to be in. It's actually to push for gun control. Right. Like So a lot of these people weren't manifesting crime the way that the GOP does. And that's what I start to think about, all right, I agree on the policy front, simple policies, pick one thing, et cetera. But I also think the story we tell is really important. Like, what's the story of crime? Like, almost like we should take, like almost jujitsu, take some of this GOP, you know, arguing about, oh, like we're in this epidemic of crime, crime is the biggest thing in the world. And be like, well, okay, how do people commit crimes? How do people commit these violent crimes? Well, they're getting them from an iron pipeline that's sending guns to cities. Uh, and, you know, in, in, in some cases, the suburbs are being affected by this too which is obviously a huge constituency for us. So yeah, like maybe that's the answer. Like we flip this debate. Yeah, man, because I think that makes perfect sense. And, and I think people are scared in this country. And I look, uh, the Chiefs had a big Super Bowl parade, right? And like, I don't love huge crowds anyway. Um, it's a thing about me and my background. But that said, uh, I... Part of why I ended up like not, I, you know, I, I did a whole thing with my family. Like, oh, it's going to be cold. We're going to wait a long time. But really, man, like in my head, and this is a little bit of hypervigilance that I have from my background, but I doubt I'm the only one in Kansas City who ended up deciding not to go to the Super Bowl parade, who would probably have liked to have gone because I was like thinking about the July 4th parades, you know, mm -hmm. the previous July 4th and what happened. And like, so... Because when you think about the idea that guns are so plentiful, they're so easy to get, that if somebody is having a mental break, if somebody is, you know, like is somebody who shouldn't have a gun, like it just takes them having one bad day, man, or, mm -hmm. or just being one bad act, one bad actor getting, I mean, and we're just so close to it all the time. And that's like, that's a Nash, even if you've never been close to someone uh, who was involved in one of these shootings or never been close to a shooting, which at this point, like by degrees of separation, pretty much everybody has. But even if you never have, it's still nationally traumatic. And yeah. uh, and so like, I just remain so angry at the gun industry uh, because to me, like we've made villains uh, sort of across the board of the tobacco industry in this country, which I'm not saying we shouldn't have. I think that was right. And it has a lot to do with things changing. But we have this partisan divide over the gun industry, which makes no sense to me because even if you are a person who loves guns and you like to go target shoot and you like to go hunt and you like to do all that stuff and you're a gun hobbyist and you have a huge collection, why do you have love for the companies that charge you all these money, all this money right. for these and goes out of its way to have no regulations on it whatsoever? Uh, so like, you know, the theme of the show is how to talk to people about it. I always, when I, when it comes up with people, I'm like, I say, look, you're a responsible gun owner. Why are you protecting people who are not? Like, it, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. Right. Right. It's like saying you love cars uh, and that <laughs> you should, like, support drunk driving. Yeah, I'm exactly. Like, okay. like, you're against seatbelts because you're a right. car person. Like, right. it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. And it's just, 
and and they're yeah you know uh it's so diana said to me before i came upstairs here to to do this show she was like please try not to use profanity because she just knew (laughs) the mood i was in so i'm i'm doing pretty good so far well this reminds me of something we talked about during you know i don't even remember which shooting how many times you and i talked about shootings over the years yeah but but and we haven't been doing this podcast for 20 years, you know, like, <laughs> right, right. it's like, we've probably done a it's dozen, like two of these years. Now. Yeah. I've yeah, probably done like a dozen of these. It probably could have done more, many more, but something I said probably a while ago is one thing that bothers me about this debate is I'm constantly be told as a city person that I don't understand rural America. And then I, that we city people are trying to project our values onto rural America and basically tell them how to live their life. And Here's an example where it's the opposite, right? Like we're told like in cities that we can't have our own policies, whether it's DC's gun law, New York's gun law, which is now going to be overturned. We're now being told that we Mm -hmm. can't have our own policies that reflect our values, our safety, right? Like I don't care. Like honestly, if you're out on a farm somewhere, uh, Obviously, as we'll get to in Waco, Texas, there are certain examples where I would care what kind of guns that you have. But by and large, you're sitting in your house in a farm somewhere. I, I don't really care that much about what kind of guns you got there. Obviously, I don't want you to have like a shoulder fire missile or a nuclear weapon. We're all for some kind of gun control. But when you're in a city, you're jump, you're 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 so close together. When I leave my apartment in Manhattan, I'm on top of basically the amount of people in my square, like my few blocks around my apartment is more than in a lot of towns and sometimes sometimes cities in America, right? So, mm-hmm. and that means that in the law of numbers take over, which means there's going to be crazy people on the street. There are going to be people who are having a bad day. There are going to be people who are reckless, right? And I really love the fact that I don't live in a Wild West version of New York right now where all of those people are carrying guns. Because I've gr- I've grown up in New York my entire life. I've seen people wield sticks at each other. I've seen th- people throw punches at each other. I've seen people throw each other through glass windows. I've seen people step out in front of cars. I've seen people fall almost like into the subway tracks and people pull them out. I've seen people try to push each other into the subway tracks. Like there's just all sorts of crazy stuff when you live in a city of 10 million people. And if you hand those people people assault rifles machine guns or whatever things can go bad and that's why we tend to be very like bullish on gun control in our cities but we're being told that we have to live by the values of rural america in our cities and it's like the exact it's the exact thing that they accuse us of doing to them i tell you though i mean i agree with you but the thing is is that like it's not like uh, unlimited access to guns is working out great for the middle of the country or for rural america either i mean like I grew up, uh, you know, I grew up here and I can like growing up, I never had any thought that like when we got into a scrape with other kids, you know, that like somebody might have a gun, like it wouldn't have occurred to me. Right. Like, like kids get into fights and stuff and we got into, and it was like, and sometimes when you're a little, when you're a 12 year old boy and you're roaming around with your buddies, like, honestly, sometimes you're probably out cruising for a fight. Like it's part of being Mm -hmm. a 12 year old boy, you know? But now, like, I'm scared to death of the idea of my son doing that because, well, I wouldn't want him going out looking for fights anyway, right? But, like, but the whole dynamic has changed. Now, like, those same people who were, you know, my counterpart 12-year-olds at that time, like, if if one of them cuts me off on the road, like, obviously, I'm not going to, I'm going to try and be chill about it anyway. But, like, I'm especially going to 
back away from anything because I, I I'm all the time hearing about road rage shooting. There was one here just a couple of weeks ago, right? Where somebody just pulls out a gun and starts shooting. And then all of a sudden, and then you have these laws change about castle doctrine and everything. And now it's like, it is like the wild west. It's like, there's this wide interpretation as to when you can use a gun for, you know, quote unquote self-defense. And sometimes it doesn't look like self-defense at all. So it right. is, it is absolutely out of hand. And, uh, it is really scary. And yeah, I mean, when you're living on top of other people, it's it makes no sense. It's illogical. And it is so frustrating to me because it is all based on some very powerful manufacturing companies wanting to manufacture and sell as much of their product as they possibly can. And I don't think we should have to put up with that. It's right. insane. I, I agree. Well, one last thing worth touching on and we don't know a whole lot. You and I were just talking before we went on this about the identity of this shooter. There's a manifesto apparently that as of this recording, we don't know what's in it. And I've seen on the internet sort of Ben Shapiro types tweeting about the trans identity of this shooter. And essentially saying, well, okay, we're, and it happens in Tennessee where there's this huge debate over all these trans bills and all that. And they're saying, we're being told that we're, you know, we're bigots because we wanted all of this, you know, whatever restrictions on trans rights or transitions and all that kind of stuff, stuff that we haven't really talked a ton about on this podcast, but there's also the drag bills and things like that, which are being mixed in with this. And I'm not exactly sure the connection, but the presumption in these tweets and these segments on cable news are that well, here's the argument, and this is for our listeners, you're going to hear this argument, which is every time there's a mass shooting, this is what Ben Shapiro was tweeting earlier, or at least retweeting, every time there's a mass shooting, I'm being told that it's about toxic masculinity. And now, allegedly, this one, uh, this shooting had to do with a, a trans person who may or may not have a manifesto. I have no idea. I don't think we know of the time of this recording. And I don't know what's in that manifesto, whether it has to do with being trans or not. But assume it did, for example. So he's saying, well, well, how come I can't talk, like how come those other shootings are about toxic masculinity, but this isn't about trans people? So I want to address this argument based on the limited information we have right now, because I think you're going to hear it. Two things. One is you don't have to talk about other shootings in terms of toxic masculinity. It's generally not my way of talking either. So like, that's just one thing. Like you don't have to buy into that binary. You don't have to be on either side of that debate. That in that way. But two is, let's pretend like you do talk about the best shootings in terms of toxic masculinity or point out that there is a very clear trend of males of a certain type who do most of the mass shootings in this country. That is a clear trend. And you could describe that trend. You could describe it whatever way you want. So if you're trying to make this about the identity of the shooter, to me, it's just flimsy. Right, like if these people talk to you about this in your life and be like, "Look, let's let's pretend this was the the most barbed manifesto ever that directly talked about Christianity being an affront, like whatever, like this this being about being a trans person and the school abridging their trans rights and you know, let's say they quote Ben Shapiro in there and Matt Walsh. That's not a trend. Like they're trying to equate this with a history of mass shootings in this country, which fall almost neatly into one bucket of a profile of person. And once again, I don't use that kind of toxic masculinity language and all that, but if one did, they have a whole body of evidence to go off of it. So I just wanted to mention that because I I do think people are going to hear this. I would add to that, that this same 
this same group of people, they have every time there's a mass shooting, they are desperate to accomplish their first priority, which is to run interference for the gun industry. And right. and so and the key move that they've developed for that, uh, because they've had to pivot to this move, right? Because for a long time, what they did, and I, I still see it like in my mentions after this stuff happens, but it you don't see it as much from politicians because they know it's tired. The the key move used to be that it is wrong for you to make political hay out of this so soon after a shooting. But at some point, people stopped putting up with that. The media stopped giving that any air, and they realized they needed something else to distract. And so that's why they go with, you know, let's put all our energy into identifying what the motive was of the shooter, as if that really, at the end of the day, matters, right? I mean, like, right. don't get me wrong. We're going to talk in a few minutes about Trump, you know, trying to incite people to violence and that kind of thing, and that matters. But at the end of the day, if you just stipulate that there are really, really deranged people of all sorts of political views and backgrounds in this country, so maybe it'd be best if we don't give them the weapons that uh, I was given in uh, the military after extensive training and qualification. You know, you could just start with that. But then the other thing they do is they'll do things like what Rick Scott did yesterday, which is just, throw, well, for, before I even get into Rick Scott, we'll do the cla the one that's become now a classic, which is people going on talking about why was the door unlocked? Well, we've now seen the video, the person shot their way in through locked doors, right? But whatever, don't get into the door debate. Don't get into that stuff. Don't get into should teachers be armed. Don't get into what Rick Scott tried to do. He tried an all new move where he said, what we need to do is we need to make the death penalty automatic for a school shooter so that these monsters, I think I'm quoting this close to verbatim, uh, understand that there's no way they'll survive something like this. Don't take the bait. Don't don't respond to them with, look, this shooter was there with the intent of uh, you know doing suicide by cop, basically. Don't right. get into saying like, most of these people want to die in the act. Don't get into the, the death penalty doesn't work as a deterrent anyway. Forget all that. Because that's not what he, he wants to have that debate with you so that he's not having the debate with you about common sense gun safety measures. Right. That's that's what all of this is, is it is all it's all just window dressing to take you and your mind and your eye away from the point, which is that, hey, man, if there are people who are crazy and are going to do violent stuff in this country, whether they agree with you know, whether they follow the same accounts on social media as you or the same accounts on social media as me, man, it's it's your kids or mine that are going to be hurt or you or me that are going to be hurt. So maybe we should make it harder for them to get guns. Yeah, I agree. The, the door lock thing just pisses me off so much as a Ugh. former school principal, because it's like there's going to be a door unlocked in America in schools. Like every school in America is going to something's going to happen. You don't close the door enough or it's a building full a of children. Yeah, it's it's just someone's gonna. gonna I can't. I mean, I'm not gonna, gonna dime out my kid for what he it, doesn't, you know, it, do around it, the house that you would expect a person. But they leave stuff in their wake. They walk in. They drop coats. They do. By the they're way, children. Not to not to like freak people out, but there are also lots of things that happen in a day outside of that school. You have to line up for the bus. You go on right. field trips. Like anybody who's crazy is gonna find a way. The idea that like the these schools have to be run like Fort Knox. And that you got to add another worry to educators, you know, long list of worries is that if they accidentally leave a door unlocked, they're going to be blamed by the country for a mass shooting to me is crazy, like absolutely crazy. And and here's what to use your exact language when you talk about like a military post, right? Like, let's take like an actual take Fort Liberty or, you know, Fort Huachuca or any of these places. 
yeah, they have guards, they have all these things, but you know what else they have? You're not allowed to bring guns in them. And they have schools <laughs> yeah. on their posts, right. Right? right? If you want to bring a gun on a military installation, including you being an active duty member of the United States military who is trained and qualified to carry a weapon, you have to register it. You have to do all sorts of things with the, with that post in order to do that. So like, if that's good enough for the United States military... How is that not good enough for the rest of the country? It's anyway. Well, uh, let's yeah. uh, well let's let's just end this on this note. We'll uh, we'll keep monitoring the story, and unfortunately, I, I know this won't be the last time we talk about this issue. Uh, we're going to take a break and hear from our sponsors. When we come back, we're going to talk about Trump's trip down to Waco, Texas. We're also going to talk about the Fox Dominion lawsuit and some really fascinating developments there uh and then we'll of course end with grab an oar and talk about how you can get involved in your community all that and more when we come back all right jason time to get the old band back together we've been doing these athletic greens ads apart but it's really important to come together sometimes for the children for the kids to show them (laughs) that the both of us are still united on this issue yeah, you know there's, there's no. I was I was listening to another podcast uh, that I won't name uh, recently, and they were, it was there were three hosts to this podcast, and one of them came on and was talking about how much he loved his AG one, but was saying how the other host doesn't really hasn't really taken up the AG one thing yet. And I thought, well, that is not an issue on our show. Like everybody involved with this show, every producer we've ever had, our family, like everybody, uh, even former skeptics. Like I remember yeah. back in the day, they used to our producers used to make fun of us for our love of yeah. ag1 and they're all converts now they're all so, on board now absolutely it's hard yeah. not to be honestly i take it in the morning i just took it this morning sometimes i take it twice if i'm having a particularly active day and what's cool is i like most people drink too much coffee and what i've done is for my first cup of coffee instead of the coffee i now take ag1 and it keeps me hydrated in the morning there's a lot of science that says that's the right way to do things but jason case people are just living under a rock, what is this stuff? It's one scoop of powder mixed with water once a day, and in that one scoop, you're getting 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food-sourced ingredients. If you're looking for a simpler and cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com majority. That's athleticgreens.com majority. Check it out. We all know that times have been tough recently. If you're living paycheck to paycheck or struggling to make ends meet, it can be really stressful when unexpected expenses come up. These could be medical expenses, auto expenses, travel expenses, and many other things. And those expenses can pile up. They can you know, start at the beginning of the year and grow. And sometimes they can even just creep up on us. And that's why we love our sponsor, Dave, who could help you get your money sooner without worrying how much money you have to get through the week. It's a banking app that could help you get up to $500 instantly with extra cash. And with Dave, there's no interest, late fees, or credit check. So if you're in a pinch and you need some extra help, download Dave and think of it as a helping hand from the future you. Download the Dave app from the App Store right now or go to dave.com slash m54. That's dave.com slash m54. Sign up for an extra cash account and get up to $500 instantly for terms and conditions, you can go to dave.com slash legal. Instant transfer fees apply. Banking services provided by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. 
All right, Jason, uh, you and I are roughly the same age. You know, I was 10 years old. You were probably, you know, what, 12 or something mm-hmm. when the Waco fiasco happened. I remember watching it live on television, as you probably did. It was like a few-day standoff. If you don't know anything about it, there's a great Netflix documentary that just came on board, which is incredible. That has all the footage of what happened um, in Waco. But essentially, it was a cult leader uh, who was hauled up in a compound and the ATF, the, uh, what is it, Alcohol, Tobacco, Tobacco and Firearms, Firearms Bureau, uh, botched a raid of sorts of this, uh, you know, commune type thing. And, and a lot of people died and it was a horribly handled from law enforcement perspective and a, uh, a rather deranged person uh, who was hoarding military grade weapons, many of which should be added, you know, per our last segment would be legal today, uh, I'm sure. But at the time, a lot of a lot of these were illegal, and you know, it was it was a fiasco, and it's become a symbol of the right, apparently. And Donald Trump held not a symbol because necessarily because of like uh, the you know the fact that this cult leader was doing a lot of things wrong, including molesting children. Uh, it's a symbol of the right because of law enforcement, what law enforcement did. It's like a don't tread on me symbol. And Donald Trump seized on that symbol this weekend when he held a rally in Waco, Texas, where this whole thing happened. On the 30-year anniversary, we're getting old Jason uh, <laughs> of the branch. It's called the Branch Davidian Compound is the name of the group. And he had a whole lot of things to say, Jason, and we'll get, go through them. But I'll just pause there to say there's a lot to talk about here. But he made a particular move here. He basically said, hey, the government's coming after me, uh, and they're going to come after you, and I'm going to call out Alvin Bragg, I'm going to call out the FBI, and I'm going to use this symbol of the 30-year anniversary of this tragedy uh, to underscore a political point. Um, It was quite, quite stunning to see this, honestly. Yeah, it's frightening. And, you know, I think the question we posed at the top of the show is, is this him becoming more isolated? Is this sort of, you know, like a cornered rat? Or is this scarier than that? Because it is, you know, mainstreaming of of this uh, fringe sort of anti-government stuff. And I actually think it's both because what's upsetting is, or what's scary about it is that, yeah, on the one hand, yes, Trump is pulling back into a corner and, and, you know, like not long ago he was tweeting very QAnon sympathetic stuff. And then he, you know, he's trying to piece together, uh, as, as he starts to lose a little support, he's trying to piece together really fervent support on these edges. But the reason it's scary is because these edges are becoming less of, you know, the edge, like they, mm-hmm. they are, it's growing more mainstream. And so while on the one hand, yes, it is a, a bad sign politically for Trump that he's got to marry himself to the Branch Davidians and that he's got to, uh, you know, and which I'm sure we'll talk about in a second. He's got to try and revise the history about January 6th and try and make heroes out of these people. The, the scary part is a lot of that's going to work and it's going to become a yeah. more mainstream point of view. Yeah, there was this moment in this documentary that it was fascinating, by the way, because it, it, there's never before seen footage. And so you hear from the ATF agents and then you hear from people in the compound, including some of the kids who are now adults. It's really fascinating. And then there was one particular part of an interview 
that they interviewed a woman who was a mother at the time. And uh, so she's one of the, the few adults who you can hear from now who was an adult then and an adult now. Because the kids, it's very – like you listen to the kids who were in this compound back in the day and it's like they're clearly traumatized uh, in a in a in a different kind of way than the adults who were more like they were they had agency, and they mm-hmm. interview this woman, who was basically like, look, she it was basically the Trump Fifth Avenue moment, because she had kids. This woman, and at one point she was negotiating with the hostage negotiators and let and let her kids go, mm-hmm. and you'd think all these years later she'd be like, you know, I'm so glad I let those kids go. Um, and she basically says in the interview, it was the hardest thing I have ever had to do. <laughs> and she didn't say because I, you know, I was going to be separated from my kids because she was like, I wanted them to be with me. And if we had to die for our cause, we'd die for our cause. And I'm looking at this woman and saying, all right, Trump's onto something. There is a, there is a connection here. You know, Trump is our modern day David Koresh. You know, a lot of his mm-hmm. supporters like Koresh's supporters believe Trump is, you know, sent here by God. My dad says stuff like this. My dad's a Trump supporter for new listeners. You know, you hear a lot of evangelicals talk like this. So Trump is smart in a way. And, you know, to, to make matters worse, he also mixed January 6th imagery. So there was the January 6th choir, apparently, um, who was singing or whatever. And there were, at a certain point while he was on stage, there was January 6th footage that was very artfully edited to make it look like the government was the ones overstepping January 6th. So this guy isn't even subtle, Jason. You know, there's an expression, uh, I think it's regional to hear, but I don't know, uh, about when you church something up. Like if, you know, somebody changes the pronunciation of their name to make it sound more highfalutin or whatever. Uh, or they'll, or they'll, you know, somebody named Willie, you'll start going by William. They'll say, don't, you know, it's like, Oh, you're churching that up. He's literally trying to church up an insurrection, like, right. you know, creating a choir. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, it is frightening, but, and it's going back to our discussion from last week. It probably is good politically for the DeSantis's of the world but I'm not sure that that makes me feel any better. <laughs> like, yeah. like it's so it's, it is, this is what I said. Like, I, I think I told you before we started recording, like I was a little worried that this would be a depressing episode just by nature of the news. Uh, and mm-hmm. I'm so far, that's where I am. I'm hoping we're able to, to I know we've got another story after this. That's also depressing. I forgot that we're yeah. even hitting it, but look, I, I, this is a bit of a nostalgia train. Like, because so much of this, I want to pull it in the direction of Waco because I haven't talked mm-hmm. about this in so long. So stop me if, the, if I'm going too far on this. Um, the early 90s were a weird time. Like, I'm thinking about this, like, you know, in a couple of years, we had OJ, we had Waco and all these kinds of things. And we had a fast- generational change in that we had uh, a baby boomer elected president who had, yeah. who had been a child of, uh, you know, had been involved in the 60s and people had a lot of weird feelings about that. Yeah, you think about Rodney King, OJ, Waco. And what's weird as I think about these moments is that it felt like we put all that behind us. It's not like in 2002, we're having a Rodney King discussion in most parts of America or an OJ conversation in most parts of America or Waco, certainly. You know, maybe of those three, Rodney King was probably the one thing that would probably come up more often than others. We just kind of put the early 90s behind us. We're like, oh, crazy times. What I think is really interesting is that I feel like more than ever these things are coming up. 
Like we are Waco now. I think America is Waco. Like we're in these moments now where like this bizarre funhouse reality we lived in in the 90s, which shaped our childhood, is like now fairly mainstream in a weird way. And it's kind of refracted through our social media politics. But when I look at Waco, I, I kind of right-size it in my memory. Like, oh yeah, we were crazy. What a crazy thing happened back then. Now to hear Trump talking about it, and also to hear like people on the right, especially the extreme right, making new meaning from that moment, it's like, oh yeah, like we're as crazy as we've ever been. You know, it's like well, talking to people who think OJ didn't do it. Like I like recently I've had these conversations with people who were like, yeah, OJ didn't do it. It was a setup. And I'm like, wow, we really are just as crazy as we were in the early 90s. And I think it is a uh, it is a result, it is a product of the fact that the right wing, when you think about what it actually is, particularly right wing media, Fox News in particular, it's a nostalgia machine. That's what it is, right? Like, think about the slogan, make America great again. Really think about it. It's just, it's just mainlined nostalgia. <clears throat> That's all it is. And, 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 you know, everything on Fox, where we've talked about before, how it's just, you know, actors who live in, in Manhattan and, you know, do New York things who, who then go on television, act like they're filming straight from a diner in, you know, Western Pennsylvania, uh, that they, that's a nostalgia machine machine all of it you know the idea of like think of how many right-wing talking points basically begin with you know it used to be that or right. whatever happened to like and and that's the and what that opens up is an opportunity to completely revise the history of it because when you just think about just people your age and my age like well you know, 1993, when you say 1993, I don't think of Waco first thing. You know what I think of? I think of, oh, that was the summer of the 93 flood in Kansas City and about my whole baseball season pretty much got mm -hmm. rained out. So it was me and my friends just running around listening to Tom Petty and getting into trouble, right? Like, yeah. meaning I, even though, you know, it was, I didn't get to play baseball that summer, it's tied to these positive mean, memories right. anyway with me and my friends. And so, that's what the whole Fox News machine is set up to do. That's what the entire conservative you know, movement in America right now is set up to do, is to tie policies that we've actually learned from and improved upon, right? right. The old versions of them to positive nostalgic memories. It reminds me of the Axe body spray commercials where they tell you that the strongest uh, sense tied to memory is, is, is the sense of smell. Right. Mm -hmm. So that if you smell good, girls are, I think the idea is you smell good, girls are going to remember you. Right. Well, this is the same it's concept. Funny. I had, it's so funny you should say that because the first cologne I ever had as a kid was cool water. And I got an Uber the other day and the, the, the Uber driver would just like basically doused the whole car in cool water. And I was just like, it was the best experience, even though it was like suffocating. I was like, oh, yeah, this is like middle school. <laughs> M memory is really uh, powerful that way. I recently, um, was traveling and I needed aftershave and I bought, uh, I don't remember what it is, but it's I, the aftershave I bought, I, I realized as soon as I put it, I was like, oh, this is the aftershave I always used to use back when I was in the army because the second I applied it to my face, I felt like I had just gotten back from PT and was headed to the chow hall. Like it was crazy. So, <laughs> but, but that you can do the same thing without smell, right? You can, you can take that stuff and you can completely change the way people think about it because they want to. 
people yeah. want to remember things positively from from their youth. They don't want to remember things negatively. It's why everybody's always like, how is it that the greatest generation, the World War II generation, these people who we looked up to so much, how is it that, you know, in the 90s when people started to think of, started to talk about criminal justice reform, so many of them were resistant to it? Well, because in order for them to, uh, you know, embrace it, they had to say to themselves, oh, you know, the society that we built when we came from the war wasn't necessarily fair to everyone. Yeah. And that's a hard thing for a person to do. And in the same way, people want to look back on these things. It's it's why people are like, you can't teach, you know, anything that, you know, tells the real story of American history in school because they only want to remember things in a positive, nostalgic way. And that's what he and others play into. It's interesting you say that because it's not what we're planning to talk about, but the it makes me think about how we message those types of things, right? Because I think there are some of our friends on the left who get a little carried away and they're like basically telling grandpa, hey, you should be ashamed, right? right and it's right. like, you have to be like, hey, there's a lot to be proud of, but one of the things we're proud of is that we're always trying to get better. Obama was the best at this, right? Mm-hmm. He'd be like, look, like the thing that is that we can take the most pride in is that each generation improves upon the one before it. And we're mm-hmm. proud of the people who come after us for improving on what comes after us. And so I think like that's the language I want the left using more of. And I think when, when we're at our best, we use that language. That's why Obama was a two-term president. It's because that was his default, was mm-hmm. to, to be like, he's almost like the manager who comes in and gives you the one positive for every Delta. He's like, mm-hmm. look, America, this is what I love about you. But also, here, let's let's improve this thing. All right, let's get back out there. All right. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think when you do this kind of thing, there's two things that work. One is that Obama method, which I always thought of as like you're trying to open the door of someone's mind, like, and the only way, the password to open the door is something positive. Right? Yeah, you got to start with the positive, then you'll open the door, and now yep. you can put in some constructive criticism, right? That's one way. The other way to do it is to open that door. I think the other potential password the, to open that door, the key is to cite your own uh, your own mistakes or your own misgivings. Yeah. So like whenever I talk about how to communicate about this stuff on an individual basis, I always, I always tell people it's really helpful if you can start with where you think you have learned something in the past. So mm. for instance, I use this a lot on uh, issues that I think people are less likely to feel like they, they really understand, right? Or, and it makes them uncomfortable. So I had somebody ask me recently about, you know, what I thought about the transgender athlete stuff. And, you know, I went through the whole, like, look, I think it's being used politically, it's the other side, all that. I said, but, but you know, and I exaggerated my own concerns uh, initially a little bit because I, I said, look, when I first started learning about all the trans stuff, like, I, I wasn't sure what I thought. I was pretty uncomfortable. Now, Maybe I'm not giving myself enough credit there, but in a one-to-one conversation, if I want that person to not feel judged and to listen to what I'm going to say, it's very helpful if you can assign to yourself some of the feelings they currently have to you in the past, but then not not say like, but here's why I'm better than you because I changed, you know, then you say, and here's what happened for me as I met this person, right? And so the key I think is if you can bridge that nostalgia to reality through a story as to how you got to that point. And then also through accepting the idea that maybe you used to feel somewhat that way, right? Yeah. I think Obama did that extremely well, for instance, on uh, same-sex marriage. When he decided to make that change, he basically explained to the country, you know, here were the misgivings I had, but here's how I got to the place where I am now. And I always talk about this as just like show your math. But if you do right. that, people are a lot more likely to go with you. Well, uh, you know, this is kind of related, but there is this Wall Street Journal 
article I wanted to get your take on, Jason. And it talks about this poll that they conducted that basically finds that we're moving away from some previously, I wouldn't say sacred values because some of these are not necessarily sacred, but there are things that I think were almost indelible to America, patriotism, religious faith, having children, right? So the, this data is, I'll give you some of the top lines here. 38% of respondents said patriotism was very important to them, and 39% said religion was very important, and that was down sharply from when the journal first asked this question in 1998, when 70% deemed patriotism to be very important, and 62% uh, said the same religion. Uh, the share of Americans who say they're having ch- that having children uh, and involvement in their community and hard work are very important values to them have also fall- fallen. Tolerance for others has fallen. The only thing, Jason that has gone up is people's uh, feelings about money. Uh, we really love our money in America. That went up from 1998. So basically, we're becoming more materialistic, more selfish potentially, and we're becoming less sort of, we, we're buying less into any of these shared values. Now, I don't think you have to love all those shared values, but it doesn't seem like we're replacing some of these old collective values with new ones. We're just becoming more individualistic. Yeah, when I first read this, I my instinct being kind of an optimist was to try and find a way to like distinguish it like a like a law fact pattern, you know, and say like, oh, well, you know, <laughs> patriotism. Now that word has been taken and it kind of means something different than it did. But the percentages are so stark uh, and, the, and the money thing as sort of the cherry on top, man, it is just a depressing survey. And uh, not because like it's super important that people are religious or anything. It's it's not that so much as what it points to, to me, uh, is that, and you and I have talked about this a lot, is the loss of a, some sense of a national identity. Yeah. And, and sometimes when I say that, I think people hear it incorrectly or they hear my words differently than what I mean, because I don't mean homogeneity. I don't mean that we all have to see or say things the same or believe things the same or, or look the same. I don't mean any of that at all. I'm very much a proponent of diversity and multi- multiculturalism. But I, I do think and talk a lot about the fact that this is the longest consecutive period in American history without some form of mandatory service, uh, combined with the fact that with the diffusion of technology uh, and media opportun- and media platforms, you no longer have the experience of experiencing the news the same way other people do or having you know a good chance that when you get to into work the next day one in three chance that people watch the same thing on television as you did last night so it is when i see those numbers it makes me very concerned because it makes me think about us becoming more and more isolated from one another and losing a sense of community yeah and there's this is on top of a lot of data we've discussed on this podcast including you know people spending more time alone people investing less in institutions uh, the partisanship and polarization driving people apart as well. People are less likely to rub elbows with people who are different than them. And it's really startling. And the money thing makes me think about, like you and I, I think are both are technically millennials, but I think like some of us older millennials are more culturally Gen X. Like the music mm-hmm. we listen to, the movies we watched are more of Gen X than millennials. Mm-hmm. And Gen X had this this obsession with not being a sellout. Mm-hmm. That is no longer a cultural phenomenon anymore. Now we are very pro-selling out, all generations. We're like, got to monetize that. 
you know yeah you got like right. you know from post on instagram we, i mean you know, we we have we are literally queens. yeah we're we literally talking Instagram. to each other on a yeah. youtube show that we had Monetized. as a podcast yeah. and now we're like let's also have a youtube show i mean to, yeah. i mean so yeah that's if that's we were, the game i wonder i wonder if it'll i don't know because capitalism is a powerful thing and even the people who were against selling out were selling out. Like raging as the machine still had to sign a record deal. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, but it makes I me heard wonder. A, I heard an Eminem song in Sing Two. I mean, like, yeah, you know, you know. So, it, it, I, you know, it, so it's probably overblown how much that cultural phenomenon really yielded any results. But it does. I think a healthy dose of conversation around selling out could matter because, like. Like if in my in my group of friends in New York, right? If somebody's like, this hasn't happened, but like let's pretend somebody's like, you know, I just started this company, I'm selling it, and uh, yeah, like the Saudis bought my company. Mm -hmm. There would be like a conversation, and then people would move on. Whereas I think like, and to be clear, this has not happened, but like, there should be a thing that happens where you're like, yeah, that's actually really bad, and like let's talk about that. Like here, like. Like maybe we should examine this, you know, uh, you know, like there's things like that that happen that like people are just like, yeah, money is money. We don't really care about where it comes from anymore or what choices we make. Like you and I both have colleagues in politics who've gone on to work for the very companies doing the very things that we stood against, like mm -hmm. tons of them, like most Democrats. of the Democratic communications establishment. Yeah. You know, like Jay Carney right. went to go work for Amazon, you yeah. know, like. But nobody really cares. That's the thing. It's like this. This is a value, you know. Okay. Now let me let me give you a a, a counter, a different way to think about this this part of this survey. Um, one, I, I still do believe that generationally, millennials and Generation Z have a greater interest in uh, trying to make the world a better place and trying to feel like they're a part of doing that. And I think that that does still bear itself out in surveys about like where people want to go work or what sort of products they want to buy it's why it's why you know you see so many corporations having to do so much brand image marketing uh so that that so that would be a piece of evidence that would that would go against the idea that money is the only thing that matters to people and then to to layer on top of that what i would suggest is is that it is entirely possible that the reason that more and more people are saying that they are concerned about money than did in the past is because in 1998, people had less reason to be concerned about money because the economy was booming. Yeah. And and today- and College is more know, affordable. College is more affordable than everything. And now with, you know, I mean, millennials who, particularly the, the uh, millennials who, you know, like graduated school in 08, you know, and have been through a period where like they couldn't work. Many of them still can't buy a house, even though they've got good jobs. So I, I would just because I really want to inject some optimism into this episode, I would I would say that that to me is a mitigating factor as to why mm -hmm. why people would be more concerned about money now is because it's harder to come by, or mm -hmm. at least harder to make enough to get by than it was, uh, you know, twenty five years ago. Right. Well. Uh, I hate how depressing this episode has been, but we've got, you know, this is not good news for the people involved, but certainly the kind of thing that we love to see, which is Fox News continues to be, you know, kind of twisting itself into a pretzel over this Dominion lawsuit. Uh, and they wound up firing a producer 
who last week accused the network of discrimination and of coercing her into providing misleading testimony in this de- in a defamation case. Uh, this is the Dominion defamation case. And um, this person has a lot to say, including that basically uh, she and Maria Bartiromo somehow were being set up to take the fall for Fox is the claim. Really curious about that claim. Uh, but you're a lawyer. I was going to ask you just like this feels like a huge deal if, if a person in your company is accusing the company of coercing false testimony. That would seem interesting for two reasons. One is that that it seems illegal, not just from a, like, I'm going to civilly sue you, but it should be criminally illegal. So I was going to ask you about that. And two is, would this not open up a lot of the legal correspondence now that would otherwise be privileged? Oh, that's an interesting point. Yeah. If, because the one thing that is never, that is never privileged, right, is anything that is in furtherance of breaking the law. So if it is in furtherance of breaking the law, which urging someone to commit perjury would be in furtherance of breaking the law, it would pierce, it would pierce the veil of that immunity that the lawyers would, uh, would have. That's a really good point. I also think it's, um, yet another thing that seems very bad for them in the dominion lawsuit, because what, what this essentially is, is it's also somebody, uh, really recanting what was apparently helpful testimony to Fox news, right. uh, in that, in that lawsuit. Um, you know, I watched, uh, I don't know. Have you ever actually watched the movie bombshell? No, I can't get through it. That's what I thought too. Uh, and I started I, it. I just, I, I think it was in 10 minutes. I was like, and I love Charlize Theron. She's one of my favorite actresses. She was amazing in it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, no matter what you may think of, uh, Megan Kelly listeners, um, I have been interviewed by Megan Kelly a few times and uh, wouldn't say like I know her, but I've had conversations with her. And I will tell you, it's really interesting, you know, by the way, when you when you know someone, this is a sidebar, but like when you know someone personally who you see portrayed and you can see that they're portrayed in their public persona very well. But then when you're like, oh, wow, they got their private persona, too, which is surely that is an amazing portrayal of Megan Kelly, like incredible. Like there's parts of that movie where you're like, is that her or is that anyway? That said, I watched that movie on the plane back from Miami the other day. And like this really this really reminded me of like the environment at Fox News and how well I think they nailed just what it was like there, not just from, you know, how obviously terrible it was for women, which is really what and, and is uh, what the show, what the movie was about, but also just like how everything was driven toward. There's a great line in the movie uh, that Kate McKinnon's character says, where she says she's explaining to Margot Robbie how to think about pitching a story as a producer for Fox. She's like, look, either a story scares grandma or it, or it makes grandpa mad. If it's either of those, it's a Fox story. If it's not, it's not a Fox story. And, and I just, I've been thinking about that now a lot, uh, in, in reference to (laughs) everything having to do with Fox and right wing media. And so, man, I do think that this lawsuit is causing them enormous problems. And Mm. I think that this is going to cause them yet another one. Mm. Yeah. That's basically all I had on this one. I just wanted to mention it's, it's good to break up the sort of, the sea of depression in yeah. today's episode. I promise next week, listeners, I promise we'll be more positive. Maybe the world will yield us something positive to talk about next week. Uh, but speaking of the positive, Jason, you have a wonderful so, wife who has written yeah, a book. Well, before I get into that, we'll do grab an oar real quick. 
okay. which is, uh, oh, I would Giffords. say, just going back to our initial discussion, uh, you know, I mentioned that I'm on the board of Giffords, which is the organization that fights for gun safety that was founded by by Gabby Giffords. Uh, people can go to Giffords.org. You can donate. There are a lot of ways to get involved. There's an entire page uh, about the gun maker immunity stuff and how you can get involved in that and what's actually being done at the state level to try and mitigate some of that. So I would encourage people to go to Giffords.org. But yes, going to one for us, uh, I am going to shamelessly plug my wife's book, uh, which comes out today. Uh, we're talking right now, it's Tuesday. Uh, it came out today. It's called Go Big or Go Home. Subtitle is Five Ways to Create a Customer Experience that Will Close the Deal. Um, Diana has written now three books. This is my favorite. They're all good. Uh, it is really fantastic. Uh, this is a book for anybody who, uh, and this fits in well with the theme of this show, who aims to persuade anyone of anything. I mean, the, the book is made most of all for people who you know, make pitches and business and, and sell things. But if you're trying to sell a political idea, if you're trying to persuade anybody of anything, it's a short book. It is like this awesome uh, collection of some of the greatest uh, sales and pitch stories of all time, how some products that you, you know, use all the time, how they actually got pitched in the first place. Uh, and I'm very proud of her. It's called Go Big or Go Home. She actually, because she wants as many people to read it as possible, uh, it is actually available this week on Amazon for, for uh, 99 cents. Um, so, you know, for one week only, you can get this book for 99 cents, the, I think the digital copy, but, um, but you can order the hardcover too. So it's go big or go home by Diana Kander. Uh, people should go get it. That's my one for us. Kind of a shameless yes. plug, but that's all highly right. recommend, highly recommend. Uh, and you know, she sent me a video last night about, um, about reading the book. Cause you know, I usually read everything that your family does ahead of time. It's a lot to uh, keep up and with. This, this is the one I didn't get around to, but I, I picked it up this morning and I read it over breakfast, like half the book. It's like such a page turner. It's awesome. She's a great writer, you know, yeah. such a family of writers. Yeah. It's it, but thank you. Uh, it is a lot to keep up with all the content that we produce. Like I think for our parents, it's just a lot. Um, but, uh, but anyway, that, they're listening to this I, right now. So yeah, I'm sure. Well, shout out to her. Um, well, welcome back from Miami. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. did you get a tan? I can't tell. Uh, yeah, this is me with a tan. This um, really tan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. I got a tan. I got burnt. I got my son. Meanwhile, who is, you know, half me and half olive skinned Diana is just brown. Uh, you know, so it's, it's pretty funny, <laughs> Good. but you, you're, you got some travel coming. You're in Atlanta. I'm now. in Atlanta right now. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I'm over here. You can't see behind me, but they, I'm in the corner of the, I love these corners and I can see like all of downtown mm -hmm. Atlanta from here. I love Atlanta. Maybe we should do a live show here one day. I feel That'd like this is a city that's grown on me over time. Like it's really cool. A lot, a lot of energy here, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like I feel like they've mm -hmm. done well. Um, and then you I go to like Costa Rica soon. Costa Rica next week for celebrating early my 40th birthday. My 40th is until the end of April, but uh, I wanted to get out there before the waves get too big. Although I was looking at the, the surf forecast and they're very big when I get down there. So this may be the last you ever hear from me. <laughs> how many How many away. people took you up See. on this destination birthday? I, I wish that we had been able to. That's pretty uh, good. 16. Yeah. Yeah. That's so pretty most good. people I emailed, I think. Yeah. So yeah. I'm glad people Since were able to do that. Pretty much yeah. just us. Didn't, well, I figured so. given I haven't given people a destination wedding yet, um, yeah. I figure I've got one ask right now. That may be Might coming. Well use it. Yeah. That, <laughs> when that happens, when the, not to, you know, put you, not to put you on the spot, put me on the spot when, yeah. when that happens, I promise we will make a greater effort than we did for your 40th birthday. All right, great. Well, I'll see you so. in Bali 
No, I'm kidding. I don't know. What that <laughs> that sounds amazing. All right. right. All right. Okay. Uh, this has been fun. Remember to subscribe to Majority 54 wherever you listen to audio podcasts. Just search Majority 54. Please leave us a five-star review. Thank you to the Midas Mighty for listening. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. Thank you.